Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today, I have a very special guest. Of course, all of my guests are very special, but I'm especially excited to be talking with Amy Bett from Geelong, who has quite an interesting story of resilience. Welcome, Amy. Hello, Serena. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. Amy, like I said, lives in Geelong with her husband and her three daughters. She works as a business coach and she herself is a podcaster. She is host of The Choice with Amy Bett. But it wasn't that long ago that her life was in crisis. Is that a fair description? That is the exact right description to use. It was an absolute crisis. <laughs> and a specifically financial crisis. And we're going to hear about that in a little bit. I think it's just such an inspirational story about how you can turn your finances around. And I'm so honoured that she's going to share that problem and background. Yeah, Thank you, Serena. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, really, it, the honour's mine. Let's go back to the beginning. Pre-kids, what was your life like? Sure. To be honest, I don't really remember my life too much previously to children because I did become a mum at 20 to a previous relationship before my husband now. But I had Lily at 20 when I was working in the corporate world. And I realized very quickly that if I still wanted to live my life and, and, and see my desires come to fruition, then I had to just go for it. And so I always had that mentality, which I was very lucky to have. So I felt like I didn't really miss out too much. But when that relationship broke down and I met my husband in 2012, we had a double income, which was amazing. We were both working at the Cottenham Group and we were working, I was in corporate events and he was a planning analyst. And so those couple of years of my life were some of the best of my life. We went through a period where very quickly we got engaged, we bought a home, we got married, and then we got pregnant with our second daughter, Annie. I felt like we were really living the high life at that stage. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of excitement there. And it sounds like you had to grow up too fairly quickly in a way, take responsibility at an age where a lot of people are going out partying and, and next thing you've got a corporate job. And a young child. I I think I, from a young age, always wanted to be a mum. And so it was something that I, it had always been on my mind. I definitely didn't expect to, to fall pregnant at 19, but I knew that when I did, it was a decision that, it, that was made for me and that I just had to get on with it. I actually, when Lily was one, all of my friends were overseas traveling around Europe and I decided that I didn't want to miss out on that. And so I convinced her dad that we would go over there and we took Lily over to Europe for a year and travelled around and settled in Barcelona for a little while. So I guess that really proved to me that year away that you can achieve what you want to achieve if you set your mind to it and put action towards it. And so I just kind of thought, yeah, as long as I'm headstrong and I go for it, I can do it. So I was lucky in that sense. <laughs> Well, it's a great uh, mentality to have. And you can't really choose sometimes when you start your family. Like it's so much of a miracle. I had a lot of trouble having my children. I didn't uh, have my first child till I was 36 and my second child was born just before my 40th birthday, which I know people say that sometimes that's impossible, but you know, it happens. So that's just the way it was. Yeah, exactly. Everyone has such a unique situation and 
kids are such a blessing whenever they come into your life, whether it's earlier or, or later. So I think you can never really plan and prepare because you just don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. But so we're here talking about you in getting engaged, meeting your husband in 2012, and then you get engaged, you get married, you've got a second child. Then what happens? I was about seven months pregnant with our daughter, Annie, and my husband had been playing football at um, the Newtown Football Club here in Geelong for about 10 years, and he's always been football obsessed. But it was this particular game where he got struck um, as I think he might have been going up to take a mark or something and he hit the ground with his arms pinned to his side and his head struck the ground in a, yeah, in a really bad way and he became severely concussed, which then led to a really terrible post-concussive syndrome, which he still suffers from today, unfortunately. Our life, I guess, went from living to what I viewed as almost my dream life. Um, I had a great career and family and friends to then the reality that not only was my husband going to have to finish his corporate career, it was going to be at the same time that I was about to start maternity leave and we would have no income. And whilst we had some savings um, in the bank at the time, a small amount of savings, I knew that if we didn't proactively do something very quickly, we were going to be in very big trouble. Yeah, I can't even begin to imagine how scary that must have been. And obviously, he's young, he's fit, he's playing sport. I mean, you wouldn't imagine that you would have a medical issue affecting your family. Yeah, it's something that we definitely hadn't prepared for. We're both quite healthy. We don't smoke. We would have a social drink, but we didn't really, I guess we would take care of ourselves to our best ability anyway. So we never thought that something like this would happen to us for sure. Mm, and I know, you know, a lot of people don't expect that something like this is going to happen to them. My lovely husband, Neil, had a heart attack just over three years ago. Now, he had that, I'm just trying to think how old he was. I think he was 49. So you don't expect a 49-year-old to have a heart attack, but they do. And people even younger than that have heart attacks. I didn't realize actually there was a family history because we'd only just been engaged for nine days. And, you know, your medical history isn't something you usually talk about when you're dating. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. And actually, I probably should have questioned my husband a little bit more because I realised after that, and similar, we, we had, I guess, a whirlwind romance and got engaged and married reasonably quickly, but he had broken almost every bone in his body from football accidents. So maybe I should have been a little bit more clued on that a concussion was on the cards. Well, maybe, but you know, like you know, I said before, usually you think that exercise sport is a healthy thing. You, you don't really think of concussion as being a major problem. What did this concussion from the accident, what did this mean for your family? What did this mean for his ability to work? Sure. It was a complete life change for us. It meant that Jay's main symptoms were light and sound sensi uh, sensitivity and also a an extreme sensitivity to computer screens. And his whole role, his whole job, all of his training had been a desk-based job. So in front of a computer screen, which meant that he couldn't do that anymore. He tried for months, um, which probably in hindsight has hindered his um, ability to get better because I guess he wasn't resting as much as he should have in the beginning. He went back to work and he was trying to support the family. Um, but I guess at the same time, you don't know how long a concussion is going to last for. So it's one of those illnesses that that you can't see. It's not a broken arm where 
you know that you're going to be out for six six weeks. It's it's a, it's the unknown. We realized very quickly that he couldn't do his job, so he was going to have to finish. And I was desperate to to be at home with Annie, and because my role was very travel based, we, I was traveling around Australia a lot. And I did that for years with Lily and I was lucky I was able to take her with me, but I knew that it was time for me. I was approaching 30. It was time for me to settle down a bit more and be at home and and be that real motherly presence for our family and especially to help Jay as well with his recovery. He wasn't going to be able to take up the slack at home. Um, He had to be resting as much as possible. So it completely changed our life and, and our ability. So we had to, I guess, think about what could we do now in terms of, in terms of work. And we decided to create a business. We thought that was the way to go. So you decided then to start a business together so that you could earn some income. And I should have actually asked previously, did you have insurances in place for your husband's accident? Was this something that you might have prepared for? Would you do things differently with the benefit of hindsight? Yes. In one part, we were very, very lucky because one of Jay's friends, he had just started a business that incorporated insurance and it was the very first insurance that covered footballers. There wasn't an an income protection back then that covered footballers or football accidents. And so he had that insurance in place and I had income protection, total permanent disablement and life insurance as well. So we did have insurance, which was fabulous. But where we, I guess, where we stumbled was that we weren't actively looking at our insurances and we weren't increasing it as our income grew. So when Jay got his insurance, it was when he was a single male with no partner and no kids. And it was on an income that was a lot less than what he was earning when he had his accident. So it is so important, yes, to take out insurance and to take out the right insurance, but it's even more important to be looking at your insurances every year and updating it as the time goes on and as your income is increasing. That's a really good point, isn't it? Especially with a lot of house prices rising, this is something that people are often going to have to look at their home and contents insurance as well. Definitely. And it was only, I think, six to 12 months ago now that we really sat down with an advisor. And I really do suggest that. I think you can take out your own insurance, but it is worthwhile to sit down with an advisor because they've got all of the knowledge and they've they've got processes in place to help you to understand this, this may happen, this is what you'd actually need to have if this was to happen. And so they can really help you to forecast and understand what insurances you actually need for your circumstances and then which companies, good companies to go with because I know as well that, that some insurance companies are better than others. Yeah, exactly. So that's a good point. So making sure that you've got the right insurance for your needs because everyone's needs are different, aren't they? Definitely. And I know that you can take out just standard insurance with your super. And we did that as well, but we have since decided to take out separate cover as well. So that if anything happened, if something happened to our kids, or if I was to come down with an illness or whatever it could be, we are we know that we're going to be okay and we're safe and secure because we've got those insurances in place. That makes sense. So note that it's important to have the right insurances for you because you never know when something might happen. Even you might be young and fit and healthy. Sometimes they can just be random. Oh, absolutely. It's funny in my husband's friendship group, and you wouldn't believe it, but almost all of the males, so I think there's six or eight guys in our friendship group that have wives and children, but they've all been through their own 
circumstances, whether it's been illness or car accidents or chronic fatigue, it's crazy to think that things that you wouldn't expect, they do happen. And not that you ever want to be having a catastrophe mindset that something's going to happen to me, but just realizing that this world is a crazy world. Let's look at COVID. And so what can we do to protect ourselves and to protect our families? Yeah, exactly. I was doing a financial coaching session recently with a young guy in his 20s who was like, oh, well, no, that's not going to happen to me. But you don't know. That's the point. That's why you take out insurance. You don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. Yeah, you're so right. Moving forward, because I did interrupt you, we were talking about your decision then to start a business with your husband, which seemed like a great idea, right? So he needed to be away from the computer screen. You didn't want to be traveling so much with work, especially with the second baby there. You had some experience between the two of you, so you decided to start a company. At the time when we were thinking about that as well, we felt as though we had good connections within the town. So I'd been working, as I said before, in corporate events. And through that role at the Cotton On Group, I'd made lots of great contacts at big organizations in Geelong. I was very lucky that when I started out in the business, everyone, I guess, that I needed to work with knew who I was. And so I was able to pick up work quite quickly. At the beginning, it's, it, it felt great. It felt like I was bringing in um, you know, decent amounts of income and I was able to work from home and I was ticking all of those boxes of why I decided to start the business in the first place. But probably after three to six months when you're in the thick of it and, and you're actually delivering on the events and, and working very hard, I realized how important it was to understand how to manage finances properly. And there's a lot of different elements to manage business finances compared to just having your income coming in your account every fortnight and um, you can do with it what you will. And so I really quickly realized that I didn't have those skills in place and it it was going to be a bit of a slog really to figure out what to do. I, yeah, I was we were in trouble. We had large amounts of income coming into our bank accounts but then it might be three or four months before we saw another dollar. And I guess, and I know a lot of people can probably relate to this. When you see a big amount of money in your bank account, you're like, great, we're rich. Let's invest in this and bring this on in the business and hire some staff. But if you don't really understand the numbers very well, it's very easy to spend that money without having a proper strategy in place. And yeah, I know it was awful. Yeah, I, I can't even begin to imagine, but I, I do hear you because I think when talking about setting up businesses, we don't often have really good discussions about bookkeeping systems. Like there's a lot of different systems that are out there, but we don't tend to talk about those things because it doesn't seem that sexy. It doesn't seem that interesting. We might talk about it on 30 June, but we don't talk about it in terms of, you know, day by day, week by week, month by month managing our cash flow. Not at all. And I remember, I actually quite vividly remember the first time that I had experience with business and tax. And I think I was like, what do you mean there's income tax and GST and end of year tax and like my life tax? I was like, there are so many taxes that you have to consider and getting your head around how it all works out and and what you need to put aside and when you have to pay for it. It's actually quite complex. If you don't have the support in place, we did have a bookkeeper and an accountant, but I guess I probably thought that I've, I've hired them, I've ticked that box. I don't have to worry about it. They're going to tell me what I have to do. But I didn't really realize the part that I had to play in educating myself. And so we did leave it until the, the quarterly and, and half well, end of financial year BAS. And then we'd get the big BAS bill. And I remember a few times it was like $8,000. 
for our bass bill. I'm like, awesome, where's that money going to come from? Because we haven't planned for it. And so they were some really stressful times. And I remember going on payment plans to pay our tax and then feeling very overwhelmed that, that you know, as we're paying the tax off, we're, we're like more tax, we're going to have to pay more tax. So it just felt like the world was, I guess, crumbling around me, definitely. That's hard then because then the joy of earning money from doing things you love kind of goes in a way, doesn't it? Because you're worried about earning enough then to pay for the tax. That's it. And I was like, I just didn't really, I couldn't get my head around understanding exactly how much I needed to earn to pay ourselves because I actually didn't know how much it cost for us to survive at that stage. I didn't know that it cost us. Like Right now, we know exactly every month that our, our daily expenses cost this and our lifestyle, if we choose to spend it, cost this. But at that time, I had no idea how much it cost us to, to survive. So there was that issue. But then as well, understanding how much tax I'd have to pay and then for wages, for staff, because running an events business, it is quite labor intensive. You do need people to come in and help you to, to deliver the events, especially within the last week of the events. The whole thing, it was just, it was mind boggling, especially when you do as a business owner, you wear every hat, you really have to you know, you've got to create the marketing campaigns and you've got to actually do the day-to-day of the business. The the accounting side is just one small side. And if you're not onto it, and if you're not looking at the numbers, it can get away from you so quickly. Yeah, I can imagine too. And you also want the events to look good. You want to go the extra mile to do all, have all those little touches. And it can be unpredictable too, to know how many people you're going to get to the events. Exactly. And whilst, whilst a lot of that did fall on the corporates, we were paid a services fee. We still, as you said, wanted to go that extra mile. So if on the event day there was like, say, an electrical mat or something that wasn't there for the cords or just something that you couldn't predict or if there was a lot of rain, we would fork out of our bank account really quickly to make it happen so that our client didn't suffer that experience on the day. And whilst we did recuperate some of those costs, some of those costs you didn't bother or you didn't want to pass on to the client because you have a relationship and you just want to make sure that they've had the best possible experience. So there were unexpected costs everywhere. Yeah, and especially as someone new in business, it's hard to because it's a tendency sometimes to underquote because you want the business. Definitely. And that's something that I've learned as time has gone on, my worth. And I've got a I've developed a bit of a trick for that with working backwards and I guess visioning what I want for my life and the experience that I have and how much I need to charge to make that a reality. But at the time I had no idea how many hours would be involved in creating these events and also exactly that winning the events, what I what people would be happy to pay me. So there were so many unknowns at that time. And so what changed? What was your aha moment that this isn't sustainable and something needed to change? I think I just hit a massive rock bottom at that time. I things were feeling really difficult. I couldn't see my way out. And I think it was a personal level of like personal things were happening that started to make me really question whether I could go on in the business space. And that was that we wanted to have another baby. And also our house, our house wasn't going to set that up. Our house, we, we had a small house at the time. We had a big block, but a small house. And our original plan was going to be to renovate our home. And I knew that in our current financial place, we weren't going to be able to do that. We weren't going to able to have the finance to renovate our home and it probably wasn't a great time to have another baby and I'm like if we can't even do these things and we're working so hard but we can't we don't see that into our lifestyle and we don't see that into our family then something massive has to change and 
I realized that if I don't do something differently, then I'm not going to get different results. And that meant to me really facing my finances and getting support and understanding that I need to go all in in this area and make some big changes. So what I did was there was actually a re- there's a really brilliant company called Cashflow Co. And they're founded here in Geelong and they're in the starting stages. And I gave them a call and said, look, I've got my head in the sand. I need some help. I don't know how to manage my finances. Will you help me? And so I decided to learn how to manage our finances. Once our income hit our personal bank accounts, what we would do then to, I guess, make sure that we first and foremost had enough money for our bills and our basic necessities and then work out, okay, so we've got money for that. Now, what are the lifestyle choices that we want to have? And so we were so lucky and we found that support and and we were getting there, but we still had the issue of we didn't have enough income coming into our account to fund this lifestyle goal that we had. And so we realized that we're going to have to do something very drastic. And the the guys at Cashflow Co, they they had us in for a meeting and they said to us, what do you want to feel in your life? Like in your house, how do you want to feel? And I said, I want to feel expansive. I want to feel as though it doesn't have to be a million dollar house, but it has to be big enough to house our family. And there are a few things that I'd like to have. And he said, well, do you think you need to own your home to have that experience? And I was like, oh, no, I guess not. I guess we could have a nice home and not have to own it. And I think that was the biggest aha for me was flipping my mindset because originally we thought that our home and owning a home was everything. It was, you know, I guess the Australian dream. Yeah, it is. It's the Australian dream for so many people. Yeah. And so the plan was always to get out of renting. In my head, it was like, okay, so as soon as I've settled down with my partner and we're happy, then the first thing that you do is buy a house. And so there was a decision that my husband and I had to make was we can get out of our financial mess, but we're probably going to have to sell our house. And is that something that we're going to feel comfortable with? It did take a little while, but we decided that that the right decision for us was to sell our home. That is quite a big decision. And when did you make that decision and when did the house sell? We made the decision about six months prior. The home sold in October of 2019. And I'll go back a little way, a little step. The reason that we decided to sell our home was because we'd been learning about investing, investing in the the stock market and what that can do for you long-term when you have compounding interest and and dividends. And we realised, especially with our situation with my husband's work uncertainty, we really needed to create passive income and, and create ways that we can be earning money even if we're not working. And so that was a big factor. We knew that we wanted to have an emergency fund for our family that was kind of, I guess, sitting at about six months of income in our bank account at all times because that made me feel really secure. And we also knew that we really wanted to be growing this passive income stream through investing in Australian listed investing companies and Australian shares. We will go internationally eventually, but right now it's in Australian shares. And we knew that the only way that we were going to be able to do that was to sell our home and use the the income or the, I guess, after we paid back our loan, that the rest of the money to to do that, to set up an emergency fund. And we thought originally that if we could just have, say, a twenty dollars to $30,000 emergency fund and then $50,000 to invest, then that would be a really great start for us. We were very, very lucky. I think there was 
a great opportunity in the housing market, even though it was pre-COVID and, and prices for housing are booming now. We sold our home for $65,000 over the reserve price. Wow. Yeah. We were so lucky and, yeah, we, we didn't think that that was going to happen. We thought it would sell, our house would sell for six fifty, dollars and the reserve was at six thirty, dollars and our house sold for $715,000. At the end of it all, after we'd paid off our mortgage, we had $200,000 sitting in our bank account and it was just, like, incredible. Wow, that is quite incredible. So there's a few things to ask from that. Well, you must have had quite a large mortgage then. I'm trying to mentally do the maths, but with you transitioning to a new career and hubby now not being able to work as he did previously because of a brain injury, that must have been a huge burden. It was. So we had um, a $500,000 mortgage at when we paid it off. So I think at, at the time it was $545,000 when we got our mortgage. And we felt like it was very manageable when we had our double income at the Cotton On Group. But when you then take out our, one, my husband's income, but two, then our secure income, it was a really big burden. It felt it felt overwhelming. Everything felt overwhelming at that time. <laughs> it's a hard thing too when you buy a house, not just because it's wants to you want an investment, but because it's going to be a home for your family. But when the burden of having to pay that get to the stage where you are not able to sleep at night. It's something not quite in kilter, is there? Especially when the home wasn't meeting our needs for our growing family, I felt so stuck. I felt like we were struggling to pay the mortgage, but but the house wasn't meeting our needs. So I just felt like, yeah, it just felt awful. And how do you feel now? We've seen quite a change since when you sold this. So this was October 2019, wasn't it, when you sold it? You sold it and, well, firstly, you've invested a certain amount of shares and 2020 has been an interesting year for the share market. How did it feel when all of that played out? Yeah, it was so funny because we held on to the money for a little bit. We didn't use it straight away. I wanted to make sure that we really had the right education, that we knew what we were going to be investing in. We had our emergency fund. That was great. When COVID initially hit, I was like, awesome, we're, we're, we feel comfortable. But you won't believe it. We actually invested $100,000 a week before the crash of the share market. Oh, no. Were you freaking out? (sighs) No. I'm lucky that we did a lot of mindset work previously to investing because I knew that it was for the long term and that whatever we were going to be hit with, it would bounce back. So I had that in my mind. I'm like, don't worry about the stock market, what it's doing right now. It's long-term growth. I was quite confident. What I was annoyed about was that we probably could have bought about 30% more shares had we waited one week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that happens. But how's the portfolio looking now with the benefit of time? Are you feeling better about it? Definitely, yes. We invested in a listed investing company and then also an ETF. And our listed investing company is back to where it was pre-COVID and it's actually ahead about $7,000. The recovery has been great. Our ETF is about $1,200 behind. So I feel really confident that investing in Australian shares is still the way to go for us because I feel as though we will get that compounding interest and we will get the dividend payments. Our dividend payments did, I just found out yesterday, it did decrease slightly from the previous quarter, but they're still there and it's still strong and it's still money that we didn't physically work for. I feel as though... Yeah, the, rec- the recovery is there and hopefully, you never know, you can't predict what's going to happen. 
with you know another outbreak or whatever but as long as we just don't get scared and sell them we don't crystallize our loss we hold them and hopefully over the the long term that'll just keep growing yeah it sounds like you have quite a good strategy now and it sounds like even though property prices in Australia are rising you have no regrets about selling either no I don't because like I definitely know that we want to buy again but we when we do buy we'll have those financial foundations in place that support us so that if anything did happen it's not going to mean that we have to sell our home again or it's not going to mean that we're going to be stressed and up at night because we can afford the mortgage payments and we've got a backup plan if if the shit hits the fan I'm sorry if I can't say that if if if, if turmoil happens All, all good. I'm not quite sure if that meets the explicit content thing, but I think it, I think we're okay. <laughs> One final question for you, which is, do you have a frugalista tip to share? Like, obviously, you've gone through financial hardship, and I'm guessing you probably had some frugalista sort of methods that you put into place. Definitely. So we had to cut everything back. And when we looked at our budget, we did realize that we do spend a lot of money on food. There were two things that we implemented into our life that we looked at from a positive point of view, we introduce whatever dinners twice a week. We say, look, it's whatever's in the cupboard. And we try and incorporate some veggies in there. But really, sometimes it's just two minute noodles or it's whatever we have. And so we do that twice a week. And that, I guess, takes money out of our shopping budget. And and it also helps us to use what is in our cupboard. But the second, I guess, more exciting frugalist tip is we invested in a coffee machine and a good coffee machine. And we were spending $10 to $20 a day on coffee because we are snobs and we love good coffee and we would go to a cafe and get a great coffee and we had that experience. But I guess as well, sometimes we'd buy ourselves a treat or a muffin, whereas now we make good coffee at home and it has saved us a fortune and it's paid itself off so many times over. They're my two little tips. Well, they're both great tips. And yes, you can save a lot of money from pairing back a, a coffee habit. It is important to support our local cafe owners, but that doesn't mean you have to drink two, three, four or more cups of coffee a day when it's affecting your budget. Yeah, well, now we still will go out for a coffee, say, once during the week. And then when we go out on the weekends, we might sit down and have a nice little lunch. Although we're still saving money with pairing back our coffee habit, as you said, we are then really sitting down and enjoying a nice lunch as a family as well, which I really enjoy. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? You're creating good times and you're choosing what's valuable for you as a family. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so very much for being my guest. How can people find you and connect with you? They can find me. Um, I'm on Instagram. My handle is amybet underscore, A-M-Y-B-E-T-T underscore. And then I also have my new podcast called The Choice with Amy Bet. And it's a great podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to it. The quality is excellent. Really enjoyed that. And the guests are are just fantastic as well. Do make sure to like, subscribe, comment on the podcast and to join the Joyful Frugalista Facebook group to participate in conversations about this and other topics. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. Course sound has been by Neil Hadley. We could watch the boats flow by. You could talk, and I would listen, I would understand your mind. Oh, I love.
my pride.